I'm here today with Edelette McVicker. Edelette is the author of a new book titled Recovering Racist, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. She's the founder and president of She Loves Media Society, an online forum of Christian women that includes She Loves Magazine and the Dangerous Women membership community. She's a popular speaker and retreat leader internationally. After training as a journalist in South Africa, she lived in Taiwan, which we're going to talk about a little bit, <laughs> where she wrote for daily newspapers. Idolette moved to Canada in 1999 and lives in Surrey, British Columbia. You can learn more about her at idolette.com. So, Elette, it's so wonderful to meet you and to have you join us for this interview. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm so I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, um, it's an honor for us because, I mean, you've accomplished so much and you're such an interesting person that uh, I'm very glad that we've connected. Thank you. So, um, before we get to your book, though, um, please tell us a little bit more about your background because, as I said, it's very interesting. I was like, I don't have to ask you, like, which part, right? Because it's like so many elements to that, yeah. right? As you were saying that, right? Um, so, I mean, growing up, I was born right in, in South Africa. And um, and this is kind of what the book is about, is really that story of growing up, being born a white Afrikaner woman in South Africa during apartheid, right? Kind of right into the height of apartheid. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really shaped my consciousness my understanding and i wouldn't say my understanding but my my quest for understanding what it means to be human in the world i think i used to think or i i was grown i i, I was i was shaped in a way that my ancestors and my i guess family and forefathers and community wanted to shape you in like good school going to church every sunday living in a, in, a, in, a, in a lovely and stable home um, and kind of having this sort of track for success, right? And then you're like, oh, but it was at the cost of so many people. And the school that I went to was an all-white school. And the neighborhood that we lived in was an all-white neighborhood. And the church that we attended on a Sunday was only white people. And so how do you walk out of that uh -huh. and how do you reckon with that and so um i was also my mother tongue is afrikaans and so that also is a big part of what shaped my i guess my my being in this world so even as we come now i'm i'm very conscious of we're speaking english um this is the language that connects us right that connects people around the world and i'm so grateful for that um but Afrikaans definitely shaped me as well in a very particular way. And so, yeah, you just, I've, I'm, I have to, as I sit here, I'm sitting in Surrey, British Columbia, as you said, um, I am mindful of all these places that hold me. Um, I think about when I stand um, just in my, in my mind's eye, there's this image of me standing in our backyard growing up and looking out into the mountains and they were the Drakenstein mountains and they were gray blue beautiful majestic mountains and I remember looking up to those and my Oma my grandmother used to pray and and we often shared a room where I would watch her at night pray and she would pray you know one of them would be like I lift you know I lift up my eyes to the mountains or to the hills where does my help come from 
Hmm. So I, I would have that consciousness looking at these mountains. And I just sensed that there was something big and majestic and loving in the world. And then when I kind of woke up to the fact that my people had created apartheid and this Oma that also prayed to God and was loving and, and loved me, also had a picture of the founder of like the architect of apartheid. Wow. In her living room. Mm. So I was like, how do I hold these two things? How do I hold somebody I love, whom I, who I honor, and the fact that this was what she chose to hang on her wall and, mm. and this racist past? How do I hold both? Mm. And so that's kind of, that's, that's a little bit of my background. Wow. Wow. That, that really is kind of like stark, right? You know, difference. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What do you do with that? Do you think that, I know, you know, as we mentioned before we started the interview, I spent a lot of time in Taiwan myself, Mm -hmm. uh, starting, you know, when I was in my 20s. And all that international exposure that I had was really an eye-opener for me. You know, for another, you know, white person growing up in, you know, mostly white community in um, the United States, um, to be able to experience other cultures, other ethnic groups, um, was really important for me and yeah. and you know we both were commenting on how much we like taiwan so how do you think that that you know pull, plucking you out of south africa over to you know a completely different continent and you know different culture and i mean how, how much do you think that that impacted your development oh also in a huge way right first of all language immediately i was dumped into um I don't, it's like I was placed or I, I landed, let's say that. I landed in a completely different language, right? And I had studied some other language. I had studied German and French and Latin. And it was like all Germanic kind of languages and European languages. And all of a sudden I was like, I don't have anything to draw from. Like I would look at this and I would hear sounds and I was like, this is all foreign to me, right? Um, so that shapes you, that and that changes you and and yet there was this generosity of spirit this welcoming spirit right um wherever you walked on wherever i went on the island and um you know it was it was it's like huge culture shock for sure language um like even just like just the way the feeling of the air i was very tropical right like the visually so different Mm -hmm. um and yet in some ways also I felt very at home there. Hmm. And so hmm. it was like this, um, I was I was already used to, like, so growing up in South Africa, while I was in this white bubble, um, I was a white person in a majority black country, right? And so to be a white person in a majority Chinese country was not that different for me. Oh, yeah. I actually feel my body feels very at home in that context. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so, like, just to be aware of that too. So, I mean, I think it was this idea, like you just, I just had to I kind of like write about that. I had to get on my scooter and just go. <laughs> you just got to get in and you just go with, the, with like the traffic and the, and the other scooters and you just get in there. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I was surprised how many scooters there were there. Or right. It's like the, yeah. all over. <laughs> I, I loved it. I was like, Oh, I was so happy I had a scooter for a long time. Yeah. And then I, was... then I kind of got, <laughs> 
Probably some degree of freedom associated with that. Absolutely. That's that, that you named it. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that was another piece of that, right? So like the, the mobility, the freedom around that. Um, and I had just come out of South Africa. Like, so in 1994, we had our first democratic elections and um, I, you know, I got to vote in that first election. It was my first time voting. And it was the first time that so many people in South Africa got to vote for the first mm-hmm. time. Right. Mm-hmm. And coming out of that. And so I, I coming out of that political injustice. Right. And so it was such a moment in, 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 in South Africa. And I was in a small town called Grahamstown on the day that we voted. And I remember the lineups, long, long lineups of people waiting to vote and if you if you google that first democratic election the, one of the things they talk about is the long lineups but people were so grateful mm. just to be there mm. right mm. and so it was like the sense of patience and and the women in front of me were dancing and singing and and and, and the sun was shining and the land it just felt like something was right with the world mm. wow and and I had a taste, a glimpse of freedom that day, right? And it was political freedom that had come to South Africa. There were so many other things that still need to, economic freedom, all of those things still need to, uh, need, still need to unfold, right? But political freedom had come. And so I felt like that day, I think, my long walk to freedom started. Huh. Nelson hmm. Mandela talks about the long walk to freedom. His book was entitled that. And for the, the long struggle, 46 years plus, right, if you think about colonization and the years before and the racism that exists even before apartheid in that context, right, um, the long walk to freedom. And when that moment came and um, political freedom came to, that, came to South Africa, for me as a white woman, I had to start my journey now towards liberation mm. and to finding that freedom. And so for me, Taiwan and that sense of freedom was another piece of that. It felt, oh, there's something here <laughs> that I need to move towards that I want more of, right? It's kind of like that taste that you want and you're like, where is it? I would like that. I want more of that. Well, good for you for pursuing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, you know, isn't that kind of what the my faith is around like it's for freedom that christ has set us free right like i was like well okay it says that right and and sometimes i just you know that's kind of i was like okay one more of that (laughs) so um before we get into your book can we talk a little bit about your other work she loves um media society yeah okay so yeah i think because i was shaped by south africa taiwan living in asia traveling um uh I think I just had the sense of a global community, global perspective. And for me, um, coming out of this racial injustice and the story of racial injustice, um, that was already shaping my heart and God was working in me. And so when I moved to Canada, um, my mother-in-law invited me to partner with her on, and we created this a prayer journal for suffering women. It's called um, Discovering God's Heart for Suffering Women. It really oh. was around gender violence oh. and um, the abuse against women, and especially in the evangelical church and kind of this wake-up call and prayer movement. And I was like, why should I get involved in women? <laughs> like, I don't like, mm. and so 
and I and she's like, no, I I, I want you to involve like. I want you to be uh, involved in this. And I said to her, well, okay, let me just go, let me just go sit with us. Let me go talk to God. Like, let me just, let me spend some time. Like I I need to understand kind of why this is so important. And so I remember sitting with the stories and just this, and the statistics of violence against women and where women are literally missing in our world. And just story after story story after story and the different forms of violence against women and abuse. And, and it was like, um, I opened up my Bible one day and it was like this, like in Isaiah, and it, it was this verse that says, for I, the Lord, love justice. And I was like, oh, the story of women on this earth is also a story of justice. Ooh. And so when I realized that when women's voices aren't heard, women's voices in the church, when women's voices are silenced, when women don't get to um, preach, right, and teach, there is something missing. And so knowing I've come out of this background where people were literally missing from my community, right, where communities also were literally removed. So I was very aware of, this idea of where are there people or voices or ideas missing in our world. And so out of that kind of sense of justice is what she loves then was birthed out of. And so wanting to bring women's voices, um, they call it out, hear it, look for it, go find it and, and, and bring it to a place. And then this beautiful community kind of evolved. And for me, it was very much, it couldn't be just North America. It had to be like, what is our global, what is the global church to up to? Um, it's a little bit harder just because we were writing in English, right? And so um, it ended up getting shifting a bit more towards North America, but always looking for people who had this larger perspective of faith and of the world and of what it means to be human, right? So that's that she loves. And then we founded this this membership community around that just for people who want to go deeper. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So um, let's get to the book. I mentioned the title <laughs> is Re- Recovering Racists, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. So how did that book come about? Yeah, so it's the story. It's this it's this quest, right? The story that is looking for liberation right? And asking, for me, there was one very particular moment when I stood in Taiwan, and I, and I, I went to celebrate Freedom Day, the the day April 27th in 1994 is when we voted, and that is now Freedom Day in South Africa. And two years after, I got to be in Taiwan, I was a journalist working for the China Post at the time, and um, I, I had to cover the story. And so I went to the Hilton Hotel and stood in this gorgeous ballroom with dignitaries and ambassadors and diplomats and business people and other media people. And I remember just kind of greeting people and being in this context, drinking South African wine and the the new flag was up and everything. And I remember just like greeting people on my accent and the context of who was there, like people who had worked, I was suddenly aware these people had worked against apartheid. These people were probably part of campaigning Mm. against apartheid. Mm. And they know that I was not on the right side of justice. 
And when I understood that, that I was not the good white South African who had voted in that election for, the, for, for democracy, I was part of the people who had created apartheid, who had sustained it. And, and I was like, what do I do with that? And there was this warm wash of shame. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, as my faith kind of unfolded, because I'd left, I'd left my faith when I, when I went to university. And, and when I went to Taiwan was when I, hmm. my faith got revived. It's hmm. really beautiful. Right. And um, so as my faith was getting like, was being revived, there was this really this invitation to also look at my past. And I understood that I am not meant to stay in shame. That shame was not the place where God, that God desired for me. And so what was the invitation? How do I walk out of this? I didn't have, I didn't have Brene Brown yet. <laughs> right? We didn't have, we didn't have resources. I didn't know where to go, what to do. So I literally just had to show up and, 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 and kind of just walk one step at a time, just trying to find this, what is this journey of freedom? What is my long walk to freedom? Right. And so, um, that was how this book came about is this is trying to just watch now over those years from from that 1996 to now what were the, the what what was the trajectory of freedom what were the markers along this path because there were some very distinct markers and so um i you know i i just always watched in I was trying to find white people having this conversation, even talking about the shame of apartheid or of slavery or, and I was like, I don't seem, I don't know where people are talking about this. I couldn't seem to find it. And so I literally just had to, I, I showed up where people were having the conversation. Only I could find black people, people of color, indigenous people were having the conversations. And so I would just park myself, whether it was a book or any kind of talk or something, I would just go. And I, I just wanted, I just wanted more freedom. Right. And so a friend suggested to read um, no future without forgiveness by the archbishop Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember I picked up that book and it was like, I, I could hardly, I could hardly stomach. I didn't have the capacity yet to, to, to have this hard, the hard conversation, right? Like I was very much in that white fragility space, right? But this was like early, early 2000s. And just, I would read one line at a time and just kind of digest it. And like, yeah. I, I could feel my spirit become stronger. My soul become stronger as I was reading this. And I would just hold it up against my life as well. Like, okay, God, what do I do with this? And just kind of walk with, walk with that. And because of the shame and that, that warm wash of shame in Taipei, um, I did not think I had the right to sit in the circle of humanity. Oh. I just was like, we had done this. We had literally committed a crime against humanity as the United oh. Nations oh. called it, right? It's oh. like, I, how dare I sit in the circle of humanity? Oh. And so I'm like... What do I, what do I do? Like, so reclaiming our humanity, that's really, that wasn't really a quest for me. Um, so the Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote about this concept called Ubuntu uh -huh. in South Africa, mutuality, how we belong to each other and how black people and white people are chained together. And so when white people put chains on, on, on others, 
those very chains hold us to. And he talked about it because I couldn't have said that. I felt it in my soul, but I couldn't have said that. But when he said it, I was like, yes, I, I feel that. I, I know that this is true because I feel those chains in my soul. Huh, huh. And so that gave me courage and just a little bit of an opening to say, okay, I, the archbishop says, I belong in the circle of humanity. I don't trust that yet for myself. I need to, I felt like I needed to earn more of that. Um, but because of his generosity and making room and this whole concept of Ubuntu, that we belong to each other, um, that gave me the, the, the courage to move forward and just keep looking for these, these, these pebbles, this, the, 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 the breadcrumbs of light and of freedom mm-hmm. and to keep walking. So, I mean, it's one thing to go through this whole journey, but it's another thing to write a book about it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's not a trivial endeavor by any stretch of the imagination. Um, did you do it because it helped you think this through and work through this? Or did you do it more naturally because you've got a journalist background? Or, you know, why did you choose to, you know, describe all this in a book and make it very public? Right. You know, I had been writing it down from the beginning. Like this was how I was processing hmm. processing what was going on for hmm. me. And so some of those stories I had written so many times. Hmm. Like the first time hmm. I, I'm telling I tell the story of um of nineteen seventy-six um in Suwe There was the the protest against Afrikaans and what had happened in my soul. And that story I started writing that story in the early like 2000s and I couldn't, I didn't know all the pieces of that. And my freedom was connected to that story. My freedom was connected to um, the death of a young boy named Hector Peterson, who was 12 years old in South Africa at the time. And some, I just felt deeply connected to that. And so I just kept writing it out. And so by the time I came to, um, actually thinking about do I do this I I am a writer this is how I process this is a practice of liberation for me right this is how I process the world so I'd already had content and then there's like okay do do I as a white woman now need to write a book about this do I need to take the space of another person to write a book and I was willing to relinquish it I was like okay god I don't need to do this this is not not something I need to do um and especially after George Floyd died I was like (sighs) and I just after I relinquished I was like but this is my story and I and it's a very it's a very particular story and as I just watched the faithfulness over this over the over the decades of just this liberation of this becoming of this kind of walk towards freedom and it's it's not it's it just it just and I and I and I talk to people about it as well like do you think I need to write this and it and I felt a charge to do that and so I sent off the the book proposal and just kind of watch okay what do we do with that right <laughs> um then had to wrestle okay all of a sudden there was like all these books about anti-racism on the on the New York Times bestseller list and I was like oh dear I'd never kind of con- considered a book about racism, have, like making money. And then I was like, oh, I actually have to consider that too. 
<laughs> and so kind of came to that place too about I can't write about apartheid and profit from it again. And so 90% of the profits then also now is going back towards yeah, repair and restitution, wonderful. right? So it's, it's just like, so it's an unfolding, right? So mm-hmm. we talk about recovering races. It's like recovery, recovery. Every day we show up for the work, right? Well, you know, it's one thing for an oppressed people to write about being oppressed. And, you know, it's too easy, I think, for the majority to ignore it, which is what's been going on for how long now? Yeah. It's another thing for a white person, I think, to write about it, at least from the standpoint of maybe more white people will listen. Oh. I, I mean, we don't, I don't want know. that. Like, we're hoping that's not the case, right? Like, but <laughs> I don't know. However, who, I'm just... Here, here, here is this. Here is this. What I feel is a little bit of a map. It's my heart, and the invitation is here. And if there is that nudge, then I, whoever wants to come to that, right, and needs to do that. And I kind of say, like, we. This is a side conversation, right? the 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 main conversation around racism and anti racism cannot be from a white woman. Yeah, I cannot be the lead on that conversation, right? But. I don't know, maybe it's more palatable. I mean, I'm not pulling any punches. It's not an easy read. I wouldn't say that, right? Um, no. But it's an invitation. And, it, and I think it's because it's not, I walk through the shame. I walk through the guilt. I walk through kind of holding, holding the story. And I think there's some of this idea of, if I'm kind of like, and I, originally there was, a, there was a point in my story, I was like, well, I'm kind of the worst white woman in the room. Right. And then I was like, well, you know what, when I say that, that's actually not right either, because that means I'm putting myself in a hierarchy of worth. And that's really just what white supremacy or any like that wants to do. It wants to place us on a hierarchy of worth. And so we can come to the circle of humanity as human, (laughs) as belonging. But for somebody who wrestles with that, maybe wrestles with a family history of, um, of racism or enslavement, like, I'm like, here we go. There's room. Come. Well, there's another person that I interviewed um, not too long ago who wrote a book with the title, something like Know Your Place, okay. helping white Southern evangelicals come to grips with the end of their world. Okay. So it was, <laughs> it was basically, you know, a white guy writing about, as a white evangelical, you know, writing about, okay, we need to get past this, folks. We need to come to grips with you know, all of this similar kind of journey that, you know, you've described. So I don't know. I find that to be really helpful um, when people like him, people like you write these types of books. I hope so. I, you know, for, that's just my, that's just my own two cents worth. <laughs> I hope so. So um, do you feel like what you've done offers a roadmap for other people? I hope so. That's, I'm hearing that too. Some, like, I'm hearing that people's like, this is a map. And, and I think that was my prayer, to be honest with you. Um, that there is a, it's a map and it's not from A to B. It's not a linear journey. It's kind of, we move, it's more like a spiral journey. Like we move, we move through, like I have 20 stations of liberation, I call it. Um, and I wanted to move away from the word freedom because it's been co-opted in many ways. Right. And so I was like, and that's why I used to use the word liberation. But um, there's, so we move in and out, 
to like some days I'm awakening and some days I'm working on honoring everyone. And some days I have to work on leaving whiteness, right? So it's like, oh, okay. There's just these, like we move through it. And sometimes, you know, I can park on a station too, like park for a while. Like I parked on honoring everyone for a while. <laughs> you know, there was work for me to do in that, in that place. Like, how do I honor? Like, who are the people I don't want to honor? And I was surprised by that answer. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. There's work to do there. Hmm. There's an invitation there too. Hmm. Interesting. So I'd like to read uh, one of the endorsements for your book um, from our friend Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, she says, uh, it's a rare thing for me to stand with a book if, um, <clears throat> explicitly about race and equity that's written by a white person. Why? Because it's a rare thing to encounter a white person who has followed the lead of people of color into their own transformation so deeply that I trust the message coming from their white body. Edelette McVicker has done this work. So that's really an impressive statement. (laughs) And knowing Lisa as I do, you know, too. Um, So there's a couple, you know, several key words there. One is trust. Right? So she's saying she's, you've earned her trust. Which is a big deal. What what do you, how do you react to that? I mean, I'm honored. I'm honored, and and I think you just show up for the work, right? And you just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm just grateful that Lisa, that she was willing. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if she knows this, but she sent me the she sent me the forward. She sent me that endorsement on my birthday. <laughs> Great. And it was the best and the most beautiful, beautiful birthday gift somebody could have given me. And in some way, it was another birthday for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Not that I'm going to look for the affirmation uh, from a Black woman, because I have to do the work. But to hear that echoed back was such a gift. Yeah. Um, I think because we've been together in, same, in the same spaces, mm-hmm. you know? I can't know what made her write those words mm-hmm. or what she saw, maybe reading the book too, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a long, the book covers a long period. I, it was not like I, you know, woke up <laughs> three years ago and was like, Ooh, yeah, we got it. Look. You know, we got <laughs> no, it. Don't cover a long time period. For me, this was a soul journey. This is really um, the intention around is this liberation. Like I'm hoping, and, and, and also my hope is that we can do less harm as white people. When we walk into a space that we have a larger understanding maybe, or maybe you've pulled in some of the things that I've, that took me a long time to learn or to absorb or to, 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 to digest, to metabolize. I like that word too, for what we do with the stuff between us. Um, some of the questions I've asked. I also realized that that I didn't know why is there a book by a white woman about race? And I realized I had particular questions. I had the question, what do I do with my Oma? Hmm. Right. What do I do with this idea of ancestors where I was hearing a lot of people talk about, you know, standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. I couldn't stand on the shoulders of my ancestors. Hmm. I didn't know how to do that. Hmm. I had to reckon with that. And I came to a very beautiful place that was, again, was, was I feel like just is so beautiful. Um, 
but I had to wrestle with that for a long time. Mm. And so I'm hoping I can make that. And that's why we write books, right? So maybe we can make it a little shorter for other people to kind of come mm. along on this journey. Mm. Right. That's a good way to feel it. Yeah. yeah. So um, I want to ask you about one other aspect of this. Uh, you worked with two people who I've also collaborated with, have a great deal of respect for uh, to create the book, Rochelle Gardner and Caitlin Beatty. So yes. talk a little bit about your work with them. Wow. Oh, my word. I have such high regard for both of them. It's such an honor. Well, yeah, Rochelle has been my agent. Um, and I think the she's so well respected in the publishing industry. Yep. And she is a fierce advocate for her writers. Mm. And, and also such a loving, generous, gracious spirit. Um, and, you know, we, we tried to, we, I wrote a book about global sisterhood. And after 2016, I, I, I wrote a proposal for that. I mean, I, I, have, I kind of wrote a book too, but we wrote a proposal for it. And I was, and I was good. We were doing She Loves and all of that, right? And then when 2016 happened and I was like, whoa, look at this, look at this, what's going on in the U.S. And um, I was like, I, I have to tell the story of race first. I have to, because that's the story that shaped why I do this work with women. Mm. I can't talk about global sisterhood if we don't talk about racism first. And so, and she was like, yeah, mm. okay, mm. let's do it. Right. Mm. And so Rochelle, and then and I, and I was like, send Rochelle my ideas or my, like a, a first proposal. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, no, not ready yet. <laughs> right. And so she held back very, like she knew when the book was ready or the proposal mm. was ready and when mm. I was ready. And that took a long time. Mm. And so I just, I'm so grateful for that. And Caitlin, of course, an incredible um, editor at Brazos. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, she was the acquisitions editor, but the whole team, honestly, I, I had such a great time working with each one of them. Yeah, from from Caitlin to editor, like the the line editors, the um, my editor, and then also the 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 social not the media, the marketing team, just mm. beautiful people, so grateful. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. So I know this book just came out. I mean, do you have anything in the future that you can talk about yet, or? <laughs> No, Rochelle told me we're not allowed to talk about next projects until this book is out and kind of stewarded well in this world, right? That's so I would really, my hope is that people would meet in small circles of recovering racists and kind mm -hmm. of do this work mm -hmm. and maybe work through the stations of liberation. And so I would show up. If you're having a Zoom call and a Zoom meeting and you're doing the work, I'll show up for that. You know, like I'll come for one of those sessions. That's really my hope, that people would take this work and, and really do the transformative work with it, you know? Wonderful. Yeah, no, no, no I hear you. It, it's, it's work that needs to be done a lot of places, and it's not going to go away soon, the need for this. So, uh, oh, man, yes. It's unfortunately, unfortunately, like, yeah. There has to be change. Well, you know what? Uh, thank you so much, you know, for doing this mm -hmm. and for, you know, spending some time to convey everything uh, to our audience. Uh, again, the name of the book is Recovering Racist, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. And you can learn more at edelette.com. So thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you, Brian. I so appreciate it.